Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we have so much to talk about. We talk about everything under the sun when it comes to being pregnant, about giving birth, about raising children, and about the politics and policies and cultural events that help us or hinder us in doing that, right? What we haven't talked enough about, though, is getting pregnant, and that's what we'll be talking about today, the signs our bodies give us when it's ready to conceive. Before we do that, though, let's talk about where we are here at the end of January, Um, and I'll bet a lot of you are kind of relaxing a bit on your new year intentions. Maybe you're not getting to the gym or yoga class as often as you thought you would, Maybe you're adding in a few bags of Doritos and donuts a little more often than you'd like, or, you know, whatever your intention was. Maybe here we are at the end of the month and you've gotten a little bit, a little tired and you're not showing up for your very best self the way you wanted to when you started the year, whatever that looks like to you. Now, like you, I too have lost a little of that brand new shiny January feeling the one that makes you set those intentions in the first place. And since it's cold and I'm feeling just so much like a hibernating bear, I'm very tempted to not go to the pool and swim out my laps. I'm very tempted to eat cake and pie just as often as possible. And I'm also very tempted to scroll and read too much bad news on Twitter and let it set the tone for how I feel for the day. So those were my intentions. Spend less time doing the things that make me feel less than my best and more the things that I love and that make me feel happier. Yes, cake and pie make me very happy. I'm a big fan. I love them. And so I'm not going to eliminate them, just maybe not as often. And swimming a lot has always, my entire life, made me happier and like I can deal with life. So, So I remind myself that. Once I'm in the pool, I'm going to love it there and I make myself go. So what do you need to do to re-motivate yourself, to refocus on your intentions? What can you do to re-motivate yourself? Well, I find it really helps to find a reason why I want to stick to my guns. Like I'm going to work towards being the best version of myself possible because my family needs me to take good care of them. And that's not all that possible if I feel lousy, now is it? It's a simple little motivator, but if you're pregnant or parenting little ones, it's an important one because baby, let me tell you, right now, the most important person in your child's life story is you, and they need you to be at your best, or they need you to be good enough on most days. So get yourself re-motivated, refocused, and get back at it, will you? That's the way it works. Nobody seems to be able to keep the momentum up for too long without frequently renewing focus and motivation. So just keep asking yourself, why? Why is it important that you meet the intentions you set? Is it for you? Is it for your baby? Is it for your family? Is it for your customers, clients, students, neighbors, grandparents, the sick lady down the block or the sad boy next door? Or is it because you want to be part of raising the next generation of global citizens and you know it's going to be a challenge that you better be ready for? Find a reason. It totally works. Okay, what else? What's in the news other than Trump? Well, 
we're beginning to see the first candidates emerge for president in 2020, and it's getting pretty interesting. No matter what, I'm going to vote for a woman. I mean, I'm going to make a big assumption here that one is going to win the party nomination because clearly we're in need of some radical change in this country. And you and I both know that's going to take a woman. Another guy is going to govern our country just like a man. And we've seen how that goes over the past 243 years. We've had some really good experiences and some not so good experience, but it's time for women to lead. That way, we finally have the momentum on the issues that are so vitally important to everyone, but that largely fall on the backs of women. Issues like healthcare, education, food, housing, justice, quality childcare, you know, the issues that make up our real, actual day-to-day lives for most of us. If last week's comments from Republican candidates about how to deal with the financial catastrophe of the government shutdown, you know, they made comments like, uh, your grocery store and mortgage will work it out with you. Ha! Or you can just take out a loan. Ha! That's not how life works for most of us. Not for me, that's for sure. Anyway, it's time for a woman. A woman's going to straighten things out. I'm really confident. Okay, what else is in the news? Oh my God, this woman. You guys, I'm so excited about her. British runner Jasmine Paris was the first woman to win the Montaigne Spine Race. This is a brutal race. It's a 286-mile journey. It took her 83 hours to complete it. And along the way, she used checkpoints to pump breast milk for her one-year-old daughter. Oh my God, that is so badass. She won. She won the Montaigne Spine Race while breast pumping. Jeez, so fierce. I tell you what, women can do anything. Oof. Okay, what else? All right, this absolutely, I'm delighted, cracked me up. Amy Schumer's baby shower cake. Now, Amy's been very pregnant all over social media for a bit now, and she's de-glamorizing it big time. In fact, poor woman, she's been dealing with hyperemesis gravidarum throughout her pregnancy. Now, hyperemesis gravidarum, or HG, it can be brutal. It's morning sickness to the max extreme with nausea and vomiting all hours of the day and night and an inability to keep anything down. Now, many women, I believe Amy included, have to be hospitalized for a while, at least to stay hydrated and nourished. It's that bad for some women. But what I love about her is that even though she was down for the count with it during earlier months, lately, she is showing up for her life. She is performing, launching a clothing line, and generally going about business as best as she can, um, despite and because she's being really real about being pregnant and feeling like hell. Amy, you're a badass too, and I really appreciate the way you normalize and humorize even a difficult pregnancy. Way to go. I'm so impressed. Um, Amy posted something about having to brace herself on both sides of the wall in order to poop with Zofran. Zofran is a medication that um, is prescribed for severe nausea. Poor girl, I feel ya. Zofran's great for taming bad nausea. It was originally used for chemo patients, but it's been prescribed for other reasons and to pregnant women for years now. 
And having given it to lots of patients myself and having gone through chemo myself, I can tell you it works pretty darn well, but it totally causes constipation, which is a problem for a lot of pregnant women anyway, with or without Zofran. So Amy, hang in there. And I saw the pics of your baby shower cake with the baby face squeezing through the vagina and an all too real butthole. Two things though. Clearly, this cake is about as real as any of us want in a baked good, but it's not a presentation of a particularly common way to give birth. That that baby on the cake is being born um, with what's it's coming out with an adorable little Amy face, but that's what we call a face presentation, and that's a pretty tough way to deliver a baby. Normally, it's the back of the baby's head that comes out first, not the face, and though Sure, I've seen several face presentation births. Um, Those babies don't come out looking real pretty. There could be a lot of swelling and bruising that always resolves, but it doesn't make for a baby that's as cute as Amy Schumer. The other thing um, I wanted to, it's a question. Seriously, ladies, where'd you make the first cut? And did guests actually eat that cake? Okay, enough celebrity gossip. Except that I just want to also say that I love Meghan Markle's pregnancy too. So stylish, so chic, and yet still so relatable. Love it. All right, let's take a quick break and then come back with this week's guest. So when I asked you all to tell me what we should talk about this year, a number of you wrote in and wanted to talk about getting pregnant. Not so much about infertility specifically, though, you know, there were requests for that too, but about how to go about it, how to go about conceiving. Sure, everybody knows, have sex, but frankly, that's not exactly accurate or specific enough. You have to have sex at the right time of the month or no pregnancy. So this week, I want to talk to somebody who is ready to talk about all that and then some. Lisa Hendrickson-Jack is the host of the Fertility Friday podcast and a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner. She's also the author of the brand new release, The Fifth Vital Sign, Master Your Cycles to Optimize Your Fertility. Let's get Lisa on the line. Hi, Lisa. It's Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I am happy to have you. I'm really glad that you got in touch because I think that what you have to talk about today is something we haven't talked about enough. So I'm excited. Now, I I uh, always like to ask people, you know, where are you in the world? And I read your bio just a little bit before we got you on the line today. But let's start with that. Where are you, Lisa? I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, so I'm Canadian. Uh-huh. And, and so Toronto is on tell me It's tell like me above what, New York. Uh, so I'm I went to I went to New York recently. I had there was a, an event with um Nicole Jardim and uh, Laura Bryden and Jessica Drummond. So I flew to New York. I've never flown to New York from Toronto, although I have driven. So uh-huh. driving, it takes 12 hours, but flying took one hour. It was like the greatest flight ever. Lovely. I love that. <laughs> That's like fly- for me to fly from Portland to San Francisco. It's like, it'll take me forever to drive there. And I do, and I have, but you can just hop on the plane. Yep. Yeah. I know. It's great. Yeah. Well, I was asking about that 
not because I don't know about Toronto, but because I thought we were on the same time zone. And it, we're not. We're not. I'm just waking up. It's 9 a.m. <laughs> here. It's lunchtime for you. Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> so, Lisa, the important question is this. Who are you and what do you do? Well, I am a fertility awareness educator and a new author, which is exciting. I've been teaching women to chart their cycles for nearly 20 years now, and I've been charting my own cycles for about just as long. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'm obviously really passionate about issues regarding women's health and education, because essentially, I mean, my message is that our education system doesn't teach us the most basic information about our bodies. You know, right. most women grow up believing that we are fertile every single day of our cycles. And it's not an inconsequential um, information gap because we make decisions about what types of birth control we're going to use that can last for 10, 15, 20 years based on this one bit of misinformation that we're fertile every day. Uh, so yeah. basically over the course of, um, you know, my, my learning about fertility awareness obviously changed the trajectory of my life. And I've really spent a lot of time um, in the field and uh, raising awareness about it. And ultimately, you know, that's what this is about. It's about teaching women how their bodies work and their cycles work because our education systems aren't doing it. So filling the gap and also sharing information about the menstrual cycle, because the current kind of paradigm in our culture is that the menstrual cycle is only important when you're trying to have babies and you're, it only really matters. Like it doesn't matter if your cycles are off unless you're trying to have babies. Um, But the research doesn't support that. (laughs) Neither does the lived experience as a woman. And so the menstrual cycle is actually an extremely important vital sign that changes uh, if our health changes. And so paying attention to it is important, even if for women who never want to have kids. Yeah. So I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, but I want to know more about you, about how you found your way into the birth world and into the, you know, I call it the birth world, you know, simply because that's the output of this topic. But, you know, as we have talked about so many times. I love how you said output. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it goes, it goes all the way back to our adolescence. It goes back to our mother's lives. It goes back you can go back. So how did you find your way in? All right. Well, let's go back. Um, So, you know, I had my, we'll go back. Like I had my first period. So we'll start there. I had my first period when I was uh, around age 14. And from the very first period I had, they were painful Mm. and really heavy and difficult for me to manage. (laughs) So, I mean, I was a young teenager, super active. I was like in all the sports, like I did ballet, I did track and field, I did basketball and volleyball. Like I was like super that girl. And um, so obviously having like a super heavy, (laughs) painful period that really, like I would take medication, it wouldn't always help. I would basically be laid up and um, it was just really hard. So at that stage, what I knew Um, the limited education that I had was that I can go to the doctor and get a prescription for the pill and then it'll be better. Yeah. Um, So that's what I did. And really it was like, I I barely uttered the sentence and the doctor was already writing the script. Yeah. So, um, and really what that did, I mean, it allowed me to manage the, the pain and in retrospect, like at the time I had no knowledge. So in retrospect, I mean, I had migraines on it. I've only ever had migraines at like while I was on it in my life. While you were Um, on birth control? 
yeah, yeah. I never yeah. had a migraine other than that. And I remember going to the doctor and they just gave me these crazy pills that made me see things. So I couldn't feel comfortable uh, taking the like super heavy uh, medication for it. But, um, and I remember having like feelings of depression and anxiety and like freaking out over things that probably weren't, um, like I'll never know. But mm -hmm. looking back, I'm just like, huh. That's could, interesting. Yeah. Could it Cause be? I, yeah. <laughs> could it be? Because I never had those experiences afterwards. <laughs> so then what happened was, I mean, my, I just have some um, fertility type challenges in my family. So my mom had fibroids and she had a hysterectomy because like her bleeding was out of control and, and really she couldn't manage it either. And that was what was done for that. Yeah. Um, a couple of my aunties and cousins have also had the same exact thing happen. So it was kind of on my radar, even as a young woman, like, okay, you know, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't really want to have a hysterectomy. You know, there has to be something that you can do about it. But of course I was a young person and I didn't know a lot. Um, but what I did notice in my kind of couple of years on the pill was that whenever I would go off of it, cause I wasn't taking it for birth control at that time. So I wasn't taking it properly. I wasn't taking it at the right time every day. And when I would go off of it just to, to see what would happen, my periods would always come back like with a vengeance. Like they would yeah. always be like way worse. So I knew already that it wasn't fixing anything. And so then when I actually did need birth control, <laughs> when I got to the age of, uh, you know, I was in a relationship and I needed to figure some some things out, I realized that I couldn't trust the pill for pregnancy. Like I wasn't consistent enough taking it. I had read the insert. I was like a super nerdy kid. So I knew like, okay, if you miss a day, you have to take an extra one. Like I just felt like that would just constantly leave me anxious and I didn't mm -hmm. want to like be pregnant and not know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so if I'm on the pill, I'm always going to be using condoms. So I was like, so let me just get rid of the pill part and use the condoms. <laughs> yeah. And it was around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. It was quite literally like first year university, like they were all these really neat talks and things that were always happening. We had a women's center. There was a lot of kind of feministy things happening. And I went to this talk and Inga Musio, the author of the book, Kant, uh, came to the campus and she read part of her book. And I remember that she said something about how you can prevent pregnancy by paying attention to your cycle and that your cervical mucus and cervical position changed around ovulation. And I was like, what the? So really? that was really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was really, and that was nearly like, I'm, I'm 36 now. So like that was a long time ago. And that was really when I first discovered it. And it really changed everything. Cause I was just so like, like after years of being so afraid, like I was terrified of an unplanned pregnancy. Like I was taught that I, every time I would have sex, I would definitely get pregnant. <laughs> and so the, the idea that there were days of my cycle where it was like scientifically impossible, I was just like, people need to know about this. Isn't it amazing how women, I mean, it, a, a couple things come to mind. How often we use fear to prevent women from fully experiencing their own bodies and their own sexuality. That's one thing, you know, like you were terrified of an unplanned pregnancy, as was I. And, you know, I think that that's a really common thing for women is that we're terrified of it. And that's, and that's something that comes down, you know, through the other women in our lives who are kind of letting us know the consequences of what happened. That said, about half of all pregnancies are unplanned and women can get pregnant at times when they're not antici anticipating ovulating. So we need to talk about that too. 
Um, well, and can I just, I mean, I th- I've had a lot of, you know, time to, <laughs> to contemplate all this stuff. And I really believe that a huge part of the fear is the fact that we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you fear what you don't understand. Sure. So I was taught that you can get pregnant all the time, but I wasn't taught why or how. So it was a mystery to me. And so when you actually learn how it works, so for example, like the reason why we're not fertile the whole time, so men are fertile all the time. Men yeah. produce sperm every day. Man, and like those men, when they, I know. So when men hit puberty, like, and they start producing sperm, like they, they just always produce sperm. So it's men actually that are fertile all the time. But for us, there's, you know, throughout our cycle, I mean, if you think about it kind of logically, like imagine for a moment that our bodies are super intelligent and everything's kind of on purpose. So, you know, imagine. So the uterus is inside, it's an internal organ, it's inside the body. So it wouldn't actually be, it wouldn't make sense for the uterus to just be open for access all the time. Like that would expose us to the possibility of infections and all kinds of things that don't need to happen. So really, there's only a small window where our cervix, so kind of like that base part of our uterus, opens. And it's only open as you approach ovulation for a short window of time when, you know, ovulation is looming. Really, it's only open when it has to be open. And then outside of our fertile window, it is closed. And from a very practical standpoint, like that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, to protect our internal, like our precious internal organs from Mm -hmm. all of the external kind of factors that could arise. And also our vaginas are, as adult women, our, our vaginas are more acidic than even as teenagers as we mature. But our vaginas outside of our fertile window are very acidic. And that acidic environment, you know, Uh, kills bacteria and all kinds of things and keeps our flora balanced. So we actually have this incredible natural system that is very functional and very practical if you think about it. So when you learn about the physiology behind the menstrual cycle, all of a sudden it's not a mystery and therefore you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Right, right. I think also people are afraid of the impact on their lives if they do get pregnant, you know? Of course. Like it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, yeah, being in in university uh, at that time, I was you know somewhere between those ages of like seventeen and you know nineteen twenty. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy for me at that point in my mind would have been catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. And in you know in reality, maybe it wouldn't have been. Maybe it would have been wonderful yeah. and excellent. That's why I said in my mind. <laughs> yeah. It maybe it could have been, but yeah. you know it kind of depends on the individual woman. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, I was really lucky to get a pretty solid education. And it's surprising to me because I was raised Catholic. And I mean Catholic Catholic with the ca- capital C, 12 years of Catholic education, Catholic mother. I'm the youngest of eight. Birth control, for those you know aren't familiar, birth control is frowned upon in the Catholic church. And my mother certainly didn't use it. Therefore, youngest of eight. <laughs> She did a great job teaching us fertility awareness method um, as a prevention for pregnancy. And then when wow. we went to school, they taught us, we had a really comprehensive sex ed class at my Catholic school where they taught us all about the menstrual cycle and about checking your discharge and all of that. They also taught us about the common birth control methods that were available at the time. And I'm a couple decades older than you, so we didn't have the the variety, but they did the job. They did the job of educating us. 
And then that all seemed to change. You know, what women learned at school changed dramatically as our political climate changed over the years. And what not just women, what, you know, men, boys and men learned too. It became a real different sexual health education over the, you know, during the years that you were coming up for sure, probably. Well, that's really interesting to me. Um, I went to a Catholic school from K to, tw- um, not 12, K to, I forget now, K to nine. That's what mm-hmm. it was, K to nine. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that, I mean, uh, they did teach about the different types of contraceptive options. Mm-hmm. Um, however, fertility awareness was completely missing from that. <laughs> they yeah. didn't have anatomically correct images. I remember like seeing the image of you could call it a vulva, but I remember like the clitoris, clitoris was a dot. Uh I remember like going home and like pulling up the hand mirror and being like, there's something wrong with me. I'm deformed. So there was that. I had to like get over that. (laughs) It's not a dot. It's not a dot at all. Yeah. So we were taught, you know, if you get pregnant or if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. And also because it was the the eighties and nineties, if you get, if you have sex, you're going to get AIDS and die. So condoms were heavily pushed, which I think, so my experience is a bit different because when I was growing up, condoms were heavily pushed as an effective way to prevent pregnancy and protect yourself from STIs. And it seems somehow that nowadays they're just strongly, strongly pushing hormonal birth control and not emphasizing condoms and even not even necessarily talking about condoms as being effective, which is very strange to me because condoms a very effective method of birth control. What's the effective rate now? I want to say something like ninety eight percent with perfect use. Well, it's the perfect use problem. I got to tell but you, perfect use isn't hard with condoms. That's the I, thing. I have it a is baby. actually. I have a condom baby for sure. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, it happens. That that I I I know that with per, it's that with perfect use part. That is, but the perfect use isn't hard. Like you can teach people perfect use. Like I have a whole section in the book about like which I could go through it. <laughs> I'm well, so passionate about, about it. The book. Let's talk about the book, and let's well, I mean the, all the hands because we want of, everyone to buy it. Oh, but I mean, it's we have an hour, so there's no way we could give everything. But just because, so for example, I'll just share something with you that I thought was really interesting because I'm starting to feel old, and I don't know if this is just <laughs> because of the way that um, the world is. So as I mentioned, I went to this event in New York. And um, we had, you know, I was chatting with the other ladies who we were presenting together and I was like, well, hey, why don't I do a condom demo? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, that sounds so much fun. So we bought a condom. So funny. So first of all, the condom, we bought a pack of three and it was like $7. Wow. So that was like, I was like, holy cow. But, um, you know, just, just in terms of accessibility for teens. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so then I took the condom and, you know, I showed how to put it on correctly. So perfect use, you mean, I mean, you take the condom, um, you make sure that it hasn't expired. <laughs> like step one, you mm-hmm. open it gently to make sure you don't like rip it or destroy it. You have to hold the tip and, you know, slide it all the way down. You have to make sure the condom is the right size. Cause I mean, different men have different sizes. And so if it's too small, it could slip off more easily. If it's too, or sorry, if it's, if the condom is too small, it it, it could actually slip off or just be uncomfortable or whatever the case is, but either way, the size is important. And then um, one of the things that I did in that demonstration is once I showed how to put it on and everything, I took the condom and put it on my hand and I started rubbing some coconut oil on it. So um, apparently a lot of uh, people and you know young women aren't aware that you can't use condoms with, with oil. 
because oil destroys condoms. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like natural kind of like, let's use coconut oil for intimacy and like for lube and stuff like that. But yeah, oil destroys condoms. And when I did the demonstration and the condom snapped off my hand after rubbing it with the oil, because it literally disintegrates in, yeah. in your hands, the audience, they were shocked. No, yeah. like there were very few women in the audience that had ever seen that before. So I'm, I know that things can happen. And I definitely know that um, every birth control has a failure rate. But I, I, with when it comes to condoms, the message that we can't rely on them and they're going to fail is just, that's just not, yeah, like, just when not used fair. correctly, yeah. they, they are effective. And, you know, like, I, I also know that a lot of people use condoms differently. So, for example, um, some couples will put the condom on before any sexual contact, which would be perfect use. So the penis doesn't come near the vagina. Yeah. And other couples have sex and then put the condom on at the end before ejaculation. Yeah. Yeah. So like, That's uh, when, yeah. That's a pregnancy <laughs> yes. waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like, I always like to kind of clarify, because a lot of people will say like, I use condoms, but then I always want to know, well, how did you use them? Right. But anyways, yeah. just to kind of give some context there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the book. It's called The Fifth Vital Sign, and it's coming out January 21st, right? That's right. Oh, my God. Two weeks. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. And this this is your first book, right? It is. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the book. Tell us what it's about. Well, I mean, the message of the book is similar to what we've been talking about thus far. Um, the menstrual cycle is important uh, beyond just having babies. And so uh, I called it the fifth vital sign because it was when I discovered fertility awareness uh, and I started charting and I, I, um, I had the, just the privilege of living in a place on my university campus. There were groups of women who were trained in fertility awareness who would hold monthly meetings and I would attend and eventually I joined the group and took a training class and started teaching. Uh, but in in that in those experiences and those exchanges, that's where I really learned that the menstrual cycle is about more than just having babies. Like it's really, um, for example, if you're uh, if you have a health issue, if you have an endocrine problem, if you have food sensitivities or um, a variety of different uh, you know health issues your menstrual cycle will actually reflect that and you'll be able to see kind of tangible uh, issues. Your menstrual cycle will fall outside of the normal parameters. And when you um, pay attention to those things, if you identify a health problem and you work to correct it, your menstrual cycle will then, you know, come back in line. So um, just the concept of it being a vital sign, just like if you have a an infection or something, or if you're sick and your temperature goes up and you have a fever and the doctor would be able to measure your temperature and know that, you know, okay, well, the normal range is this, your temperature is way too high. So that's an indication that there's a problem in the same way your menstrual cycle can do that for you. If you know what the normal parameters are and your cycle's consistently outside of that, that's similar in in the fact that it's going to give you a heads up, like, okay, there's something wrong that we have to look at. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that is essentially the message. And then, of course, the fertility awareness method, being able to track your cycle, being able to identify your fertile signs, that's kind of like the how, the, like, how do we actually kind of hone this knowledge and apply it to our day-to-day. And it can be used to not only prevent pregnancy, but to get pregnant. Yes. And really what it so the the knowledge itself is, is the same. And really, it's the action, how you apply it, that's going to determine, you know, the outcome. So when you learn how to identify your fertile window, you can either avoid unprotected sex during that time, 
or you can actively <laughs> have sex during that time. Um, and really, uh, for a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant, it's like, that's the first time they learn that, wow, I like every single day isn't actually fertile. Right. Um, you know, a lot of women, when they're ready to try to get pregnant, it's like, well, we'll just have sex every day. Little do they know that there's only about um, a six day window in the menstrual cycle where pregnancy is actually possible. So, so let's I, let's talk a little bit. Let's just mention about the life cycle of the sperm cell, though, because that's an that has a big factor on, you know, if somebody has unprotected sex, even several days before they ovulate, the sperm can hang around the cervix and wait. Um, well, yes. So basically, as you approach ovulation, your estrogen levels are rising. And as your estrogen levels rise, that triggers your cervix to produce cervical mucus. So we often hear that sperm can survive in the body for up to five days, but it can only survive when you have cervical mucus present. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, outside of your fertile window, your vagina is actually like a super hostile <laughs> environment to sperm. It's really acidic. The cervix is actually closed. And so if you have unprotected sex outside of this window, when you don't have any mucus and your cervix is closed, the sperm die because sperm need to be in an alkaline environment. So mm -hmm. a man's semen is alkaline obviously mm -hmm. to support life. So when you approach your fertile window, you have all this estrogen, it's stimulating your cervix, you start to produce mucus. And for um, any woman who's listening, who's tracked her cycles, or even if she hasn't, um, you'll notice either um, maybe uh, like a, I love my favorite word, discharge, mm -hmm. but you'll notice like a creamy white hand lotion. It might look like that, or it may look like clear uh, raw egg whites, like clear stretchy. Um, cervical mucus. And so when you have either type of, you know, that mucus, whether it's the lotiony type or the clear stretchy mucus, as you approach ovulation, that is what actually keeps the sperm alive. So the mucus has all these incredible properties. Um, when you have mucus, it means that the cervix is open and the mucus itself is alkaline. And it it's like, I don't know, it's like a sperm buffet hotel. It just has everything the sperm need um, to survive. It gives them energy. It gives them like nutrition. Like it's just all this great stuff. And then it actually draws the sperm into your cervix. And so if you were to zoom into your cervix, it's really neat. Um, there's all of these little folds and creases inside of your cervix. And those are called your cervical crypts. And so quite literally, the mucus draws the sperm into the cervical crypts where they literally like hang out in there for several days. And then as you approach ovulation, and this is assuming you're having sex unprotected during this time right, when you have right, mucus, right? right. But um, so the sperm are quite literally kind of held in there like little holding cells or like the hotel for sperm or whatever. <laughs> and then as you approach ovulation, um, the sperm is actually kind of drawn into your uterus and fallopian tubes. So it's it's this very interesting um, thing. So as, as you mentioned then, um, what we're often taught is that, you know, you got to have sex on ovulation day or, or all of that kind of stuff. But really, so if you're trying to get pregnant, then you would actually be watching for cervical mucus as the primary sign. So when you're going to the bathroom, like every woman who's listening, when you go to the bathroom, you wipe yourself when you're done. So then you could add the extra step of like paying attention to how it feels. And if you notice any mucus um, when you're wiping yourself, um, because when you have that, when you're in your window, that is when you're fertile and it's because it keeps the sperm alive for up to five days. So you could have sex, you know, when you see this mucus and it can keep that sperm alive until you ovulate basically. 
um, which is really interesting because it kind of turns what we think about our fertility on our head. Um, without the mucus, though, the sperm, they don't have much of a life cycle to speak of. It's a lousy hotel. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no, the hotel is actually closed. Like they can't even make it through your, they can't penetrate your cervix. Yeah, yeah. So um, I want people to buy this book. <laughs> and I want them, you know, women who are trying to conceive and women who are trying not to conceive and women who are trying to, you know, reconsider their contraceptive options. Um, one question that I think that you proposed uh, that we ask is, can a woman become pregnant before her period returns? And I bet that you cover that in the book, but it is a subject that is so close to home for me. <laughs> I thought I would ask you to just summarize that a wee bit. <laughs> yes. And so you're, we're talking specifically like you've had your baby and, and your breastfeeding your hasn't, your breastfeeding, no, your period has not returned yet. No. Yes. So and, the answer and you're is using yes. condoms. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is yes. Now, well, the way that the on, menstrual Lisa, cycle the answer is oh hell yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes! Exclamation point! Exclamation yeah. point! I don't want to scream into the mic because I think the mic is good. So then, the poor listeners. But okay, so this is how it works. I mean, just as that basic kind of educational piece of it. The menstrual cycle, you, you don't have a true menstrual period unless you ovulate. And so we're often taught about the period. I mean, the period, it's red, it's bright, it's obvious. Uh, so that's the part that we focus on. But what's interesting is that the main event is actually not the period. The main event is ovulation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you ovulate, then your period would come about two weeks later. And as we just talked about, like as you approach ovulation, you're producing all this estrogen and it's triggering this flow of mucus that you can monitor and pay attention to. So when you're in the postpartum period, before you ever have a true period back, now some women may experience some kind of random spotting. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like your actual period. Mm -hmm. So before you ever get a period back, you're going to have this mucus and like as you approach, you're going to have ovulation first. And then your period two weeks later. So um, for for a woman who has been charting her cycles and is, is used to paying attention to her mucus, if she's actually in the postpartum period, she's breastfeeding and she's monitoring. So, you know, she's going to the bathroom and like wiping and paying attention. It's you'll actually like you can actually see it like for women who are charting and are familiar with what their cervical mucus looks like and those types of things. You'll actually see it when it comes back. Um, and if you see like several days of like clear stretchy mucus or the kind of lotiony white mucus, um, and then you, you know, get your period about two weeks later, <laughs> then that means that you ovulated. And so absolutely, um, you, your ovulation happens first, your fertility returns before you ever get your first period. Um, mm. And I'm sure you've had the experience <laughs> where, you know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a joke, but I've heard so many women say like, we only had sex like one time. One time, that was it. <laughs> one time. And so just to put it out there, a lot of women experience uh, around the time of ovulation. I mean, you've got your estrogen levels really high, like um, a lot of women experience an increase in libido around that time. <laughs> and um, what's interesting is that, so um, there's a lot of research about, I, I didn't really expect there to be a lot of research. So I was really curious about, you know, you've probably heard the effect of the pill mm -hmm. on mate choice. Like, like um, there's a lot of articles going around that talk about how the pill can influence your choice of, a, of an intimate partner. 
because it can change the way that you smell to others and the way that you perceive scent. So I was like, remember reading that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, how much research could there be? Right. So I like went down this research rabbit hole and like there it's a, it's a whole like environmental biology. Like it's a whole sect. There's so much research. So I was floored by how much research there is in that area. And so what I learned from looking at that research, I mean, we're not talking about the pill here, but I'm, it's, it's kind of relevant because of the pheromones. So when you're in your fertile window, men pick that up. Like it may not, they may not be aware of it, but they pick it up. So your partner, if there was ever a time that he's likely to be like all over you. (laughs) Oh, that time? (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because if you, like for all the women who are listening, like it, just think about it, right? Like for me, I'm always like, like if my, if my husband's like all up in, in my grill and whatever, I'm always like, what are you, why are you like all over me? And then I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, oh, that's why. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So it's, what's interesting about that, the reason I'm, I'm saying it is because one of the other, like, if you're really kind of paying attention to those subtle signs and you're in the postpartum period and you're kind of wanting like a heads up, if you do, if you do kind of start thinking about just your libido, like day to day, like, and you notice that, you know, if you just start to notice that there's sometimes where you might feel a little bit more or less, we're not machines and all women aren't necessarily like totally good to go, you know, around ovulation. But over the years, I've spoken to enough women to know that this is an actual thing. And a lot of women do experience it. So that's one of the things and also your partner. So what's interesting then (laughs) is that um, before your period ever returns, yeah, you could absolutely get pregnant. And you're probably more likely (laughs) to have sex around the time when you're ovulating, because that's when you, you have the desire. Yeah. Again, I credit my mom for giving me a pretty good education. But I'm still I still remember being totally creeped out when she told me that. Oh, yeah. And when you're ovulating, you know, you might feel like that. You you know, she was telling me and I'm thinking like, oh, God, please don't tell me this. Please don't That's tell amazing. me. This, mom. Please, mom, don't tell me anything about your sex life. Please. <laughs> oh, but that's so amazing. Yeah, I love that. It's so job. rare. Yeah. She also, she also, you know, put the fear of contraception in us, but sent us to a Catholic school where we were taught that. So, hmm. you know, she followed Catholicism to the letter of the law, um, but also seemed to give us some pretty practical information, which was good for her. Good for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I want to ask you a few more questions before we wrap things up today. Um, the most important one is, you know, you've got a book coming out and and I want women to, get to to go get it, regardless of whether they're trying to get pregnant, trying not to get pregnant, or already pregnant. Because as we just talked about, that postpartum period's coming up and you're going to want to make some important decisions about, you know, whether or not you're going to use contraception, how close together you want to have your children, you know, things like that. Those are the big ones. Um, so let's tell them again what the name of the book is, when it's coming out, and where they can get it. Let's start there. Okay. Um, well, the book is called The Fifth Vital Sign, uh-huh. and it'll be available on Amazon and all the other retailers. And actually, for the listeners, I have a special gift for you if you'd like uh, to, you can actually grab the first chapter of the book for free. And so you can grab that at the website for the book, which is thefifthvitalsignbook.com. Great. And so, yeah, you can actually get the first first chapter. Nice. Excellent. What else do you want women to know? Um, and men, listeners, what else do you want listeners to know? Oh, so much. Um, <laughs> one thing 
One thing that came to mind, though, as you were just talking um, about, because, you know, after you have a baby, you have your six-week appointment, and then the doctor's like, okay, so <laughs> how are we going to handle this? Mm-hmm. And uh, what what's interesting is that a lot of women are on hormonal birth control for long periods of time. Like, many women are, are on it for a couple of years, or five, or 10, or 15, or even 20. And when you come off of it um, to get pregnant, and, you know, you get pregnant, and you have a baby, you have really been... Um, I, I interviewed Laura Owen on my show and she wrote the book, Her Blood is Gold. And the way that I remember her describing it, she said uh, something like the women are dragged into their bodies. So there's a certain degree of separation that happens when you're on hormonal contraceptives because it doesn't like there, there's this weird idea that women are like cars or something. Like if I buy a car, I can choose whether or not to put the AC in it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and if I take the AC out, like a car still works. But with women, there's like this idea that if we shut down the menstrual cycle, it's just totally fine as if our menstrual cycle is somehow separate from the rest rest, of our Yeah, the whole rest of the girl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the research tells us otherwise. And of course, women's lived experience tells us otherwise. So um, it changes your hormones. It significantly and severely reduces your testosterone, which affects mood and all kinds of stuff. So a lot of, and also um, has a really detrimental effect on libido, speaking of libido. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of women then, after having gone through birth, which really is just this very um, primal experience, regardless of how it happens, you know, how the baby comes into the world, um, you're really just enmeshed in your own uh, hormones and just really in your body. So then going back on hormones for some women, it can be really jarring, you know, like, yeah, um, to have kind of the emotional shifts and some women respond really negatively to it. You know, not all women have the same experience, but some women respond really negative negatively to it. It does increase your risk of depression. It does lower libido. And so um, having that option to not have to, you know, having, feeling, to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, not being afraid (laughs) of your fertility, having the opportunity to understand it, and also having that opportunity to really enjoy the full expression of your sexuality without having a a drug that reduces your testosterone Mm -hmm. by like 75%. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that would be one of the messages because um, I, I, As a mom myself, I have two children. Um, My experience of birth was just, you're just so much in your body. And I wouldn't want, I just would want to continue to experience that. And it just makes me sad how many women have negative experiences on it, don't necessarily know that it's related, and also have to kind of sacrifice their libido and sexual expression for for this drug. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you just a couple of final questions then. Um, I like to ask this one of everybody. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Mm. The menstrual cycle isn't just related to having babies. Excellent. And my last question then, where are you in the world of motherhood? (laughs) I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, both Mm. boys. Boys. They are very energetic and wonderful and loving and very loud. Oh my goodness, they're so loud. Yeah. Uh, but it's so much fun. Yeah. And we have not, my, it's, it's kind of funny. I always say like my, my husband and I are at a, at a, we're in negotiations. So we don't know if we're going to be done or if we're not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It sounds like you're living it right. 
<laughs> well, Lisa, where can people learn more about you? Um, well, the the fifth vital sign book.com um, and also the Fertility Friday podcast. So uh, it's I've been doing the podcast for four years and there's over 200 and something episodes. And we talk all about fertility awareness and why your cycle is important for health. And, you know, just if you're planning for pregnancy, uh, whether it's a first pregnancy or, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever the case, uh, just about why your cycles are important, how to... Um, improve your cycles naturally. And if you don't want to get pregnant, um, that's not something you're wanting to do, how to avoid hormones and still avoid pregnancy successfully. (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, Lisa, it's been just a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation. It has. It's been fun. (laughs) Okay. We'll talk again. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. That's it for this week. You can learn more about Lisa at fertilityfriday.com and the fifthvitalsignbook.com. You can learn learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. Send me your questions, your emails, and suggestions at gene at genefaulkner.com. And yeah, I know it's a hard name to spell. J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Uh, find me at, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, I'm out there. And go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, will ya? You can get it wherever you buy your books. And if you would, leave us a great review over on iTunes, Stitcher, Megaphone, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That'd be great. We'd appreciate it. And it helps spread the word to other mamas. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Future Studios. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon. And then she said, someone will look at me.